It's kind of a big mic. <laughs> hey, thank you, Nick, <clears throat> for the invitation to speak today. Uh, Cindy thought a famous preacher was coming. <laughs> and in some sense, he is. You'll hear from Martin Luther uh, later as part of this to do. So it's such a delight to be here. Um, some of you might recognize me and my dear wife, Lynn, over here. Hi, Lynn. Right there. Raise your hand. Yeah. Um, we've visited several times in the last few months. <clears throat> and I must say, you are a very welcoming, friendly congregation. Um, probably the most welcoming, friendly congregation I've ever experienced. So I really appreciate how so many of you uh, come up and say hi, introduce yourself, and make us feel at home. Not just the first Sunday we were here, but every Sunday. So thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Nick, I've uh, been enjoying your current sermon series. Where'd you go? Did he? <laughs> there. Oh, in the back. There he is. Um, <clears throat> and on Colossians, and so appreciate your emphasis on Jesus plus nothing. It reminds me of Martin Luther's clarion call over 500 years ago of salvation by grace through faith alone. When he famously nailed his 95 theses to the University of Wittenberg's the chapel door there, sparking the Protestant Reformation. Did you know that today happens to be that an important anniversary of that historic occasion on October 31st in the year 1517. Today is Reformation Sunday. It's always the last Sunday of October. And so Protestant churches all over the world commemorate Martin Luther's defense of the gospel, his bedrock understanding of God's grace in all its truth. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Soli de gloria, glory to God alone. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola fide, faith alone. And sola gratia, grace alone. And what a great day to be invited to preach at Calvary, the hill, a day commemorating the courage of a German monk to defend the gospel in all its truth, Jesus plus nothing, here in a church building built by a German congregation, thousands of miles away and hundreds of years removed since that time. And what a great biblical text I've been assigned to speak on, Colossians 1, 21 to 23. And the title of my sermon this morning is taken from the text, not moved, not moved, where Paul writes, continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Colossians 1, 21 to 23, if you've got one, or if there's a pew Bible, it's on page 983, <clears throat> and I'll be reading the, the New International Version. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. 
without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let us pray. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Been battling a cold, so. First, to briefly refresh our memory of the context where we are, remember Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter to the Colossians. Epaphras likely came to him for guidance, maybe for coaching, (laughs) Uh, and for help to counteract various and false teachings about Jesus. The letter says Epaphras was always wrestling in prayer for them, that they may stand firm in God's will, mature and fully assured. As a young pastor, when I was a young pastor in the 1980s, in a university town, I remember also wrestling. Not only wrestling in prayer for my congregation and for those I encountered in our neighborhood and in our city, but also with a younger generation who were wrestling with the question, which is still so relevant in our day, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Whether he was God or not. And my sermon today continues where Pastor Nick left off last week, which addresses this question, who is Jesus? Paul's response was clear in last week's biblical text in the portrait He paints of Jesus. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the head of the body, the church, the firstborn from among the dead. God's fullness dwelled in Jesus, reconciling all things through his blood shed on the cross. So where we are today is where Paul... Just in case his readers didn't get this message and understand it, Paul in our text today repeats himself with more clarity. Look at verse 21 and 22. It says, once you're alienated, but now he has reconciled you. Once you were alienated, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. In the language of the Apostle John, if we go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, it's the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And for you history buffs of the early church, in the language of the Nicene Creed, one of the earliest statements of belief um, was done in the 4th century. Listen to what they affirmed. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. 
God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became human. So if you would have walked into any Catholic church, any Lutheran church, any church that has the liturgy, you will hear the Nicene Creed articulated every Sunday as a reminder of these truths. This foundational truth about who Jesus was is also embedded in some of our most well-known and beloved Christmas hymns. Oh no, what, Christmas already? Nick mentioned it last week, so I thought, oh, I can do this. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Now, if we were to sing that, most of you know that verse. We could start right now and and you'd all have it down. But how about the second verse? Listen to this. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of the favored one. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased is man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Every time you sing that song this Christmas, be reminded of this truth that Paul wants to underscore here to the Colossians that they will never move from, that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Christ has reconciled them by his physical body. Note in this text it says his physical body. Through death to present them holy in his sight. Without blemish and free from accusation. And wow. Isn't that great news? Without blemish and free from accusation. No matter how many times we stumble. No how many times we fall and have to get up again. Now, how many, how many times we feel we fall short? We are without blemish and free from accusation. And now in verse 23, Paul wants to remind his readers how they received that redemption. Sola fide, which means by faith alone. Paul writes, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So how did the Colossians, the Laodiceans, and those at Heropolis receive this gospel? In Martin Luther's words, and Paul's words. 
Paul, by Christ alone, by grace, through faith alone. Perhaps the most dramatic moment in Martin Luther's life came in 1521, when he got his hearing before the Diet of Worms. So here is Luther in his own words. I'm going to turn into Martin Luther right before your eyes. <laughs> and I adapted this from an article in Christian History Magazine entitled, The Accidental Revolutionary by James Kittleson. It was published in 1992. Finally, the chance came for me to get the hearing I had requested four years ago. Remember four years ago I posted the 95 Theses on the door of the Wittenberg Chapel? The Holy Roman Empire, Charles V, he was also Charles I of Spain. He had never been in Germany. He wanted to meet the princes whom he scarcely knew by name and desperately needed to court. At the same time, he heard of this friar by the name of Luther that also needed to be addressed. Why left Wittenberg to attend the Diet of Worms? There's a picture up there of um, the Diet of Worms. Who's ever heard of the Diet of Worms? Oh, all right, yeah. Sounds like a nutritional diet of worms, right? No. A diet was a formal, deliberative, imperial assembly of the whole Roman Empire. Worms was then an imperial free city of the empire. So when I was ushered into the assembly, I was awed to see Emperor Charles V himself. He was surrounded by his advisors and representatives of Rome. Spanish troops were decked out in their parade best, along with the electors, bishops, territorial princes, and representatives of great cities. And in the midst of this august assembly sat a table of books. Imagine. Right here, if this was a table of books stacked up. I was asked if I had written the books. And if there was part of them I wished to recant. I was taken aback. This was not going to be a debate. That's what I called everybody to, was a debate four years ago when I posted those, those 95 theses. It was going to be a judicial hearing. I became confused and stumbled, and I begged for another day. I said, this touches God and his word. This affects salvation of souls. I beg you, give me time. I was given one day. And back in my quarters I wrote, so long as God is merciful, I will not recant a single jot or tittle. Well, the next day's business at the diet delayed my return until evening, and candlelight flickered off of the crowd of dignitaries jammed in to the great hall. I was asked again, Will you defend these books altogether, or do you wish to recant 
some of what you said. I declared, there are three kinds of books in the stack. Some were about Christian faith and good works, and these certainly I could not retract. Some attacked the papacy, and to retract these would be to encourage tyranny. Finally, in some, I attacked individuals, and I admit, perhaps a little harshly, but still, these could not, could not be retracted because these people defended papal tyranny. Then the examiner said and replied to me, Surely one individual cannot call into doubt the tradition of the entire church. You must give a simple, clear, and proper answer. Will you recant or not? And I replied, Unless I can be instructed and convinced with evidence from the Holy Scriptures, or with open, clear, and distinct grounds of reasoning, then I cannot and will not recant because it is neither safe nor wise to act against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Martin Luther, a servant of the gospel, remained established and firm in his faith, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. And he didn't have an easy life after that. He became an outlaw. He had to run, in a sense, he had 21 days, but then anybody could turn him in, kill him, and get a reward. It's quite a moving story. Now, what well, we're almost done. Let us fast forward from the Apostle Paul's times, 2,000 years ago, from Martin Luther's times, 500 years ago, to deal with the big question my seminary professor always wanted us to ask. So what? So what does that mean for us today? in the 21st century America, living here in Seattle, Washington, in the times we're in, and so many challenges in our, our city, in our country, around the world, geopolitically right now. And consider our response to hearing God's word this morning. So first, I just offer some reflection questions for you. As you reflect on um, being a servant of the gospel, where are you this morning in the story of your own life as it intersects in the story of God? Are you in a good place? Are you living into the, you know, maybe the accident of victory right now? Things are, seem good. You're finding more purpose and meaning in your, your daily life and, and, and what's before you. 
Or are you in a transitional space? Maybe it's the kind of space where you've taken one step forward and now two steps back. Or maybe it's the transitional space where it's just foggy, you can't see. What's God doing here in my life? I can't tell yet, but I just keep pressing on. Or are you wrestling in prayer like, like Epaphras? Going through deep difficulties, maybe. And maybe it's desiring to maintain hope in a troubled world. Wanting more stability in your own faith or assurance. Yeah, that God loves me, that God's with me. That no matter how I stumble, he'll still be there for me. And others, will they be there for me? Or maybe at times, you can feel a little discouraged. I was struck by the prayer this morning um, about some of the UGM, your brothers who are, you know, have left the program and not, not there. They dropped out early and the prayer for them, for God to keep them alive and safe. I guess as they got discouraged. And Martin Luther could get discouraged. We all do. It's normal. But whenever Martin Luther would get discouraged, he would say to his uh, friend Philip Melanchthon, Come, Philip. And he'd say it cheer cheerily. Come, Philip. Let us sing the 46th Psalm. And if that's you this morning, or whenever anyone finds themselves a little discouraged, troubled, or fearful, or needing clarity, support, or just plain hope, I'd encourage you as a congregation, say to one another, come. Let us sing the 46th Psalm. I'm going to read the psalm for you, <clears throat> and then Pastor Nick uh, will lead us in the response time, which, of course, Pastor Nick, I'm hoping includes the singing of the 46th Psalm, which is Martin Luther's <laughs> um, A Mighty Fortress um, is Our God. Here's the Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Remember, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Be still 
and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen.